0: Howdy! I'm Paul Isaac Goder. This is Authors Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. A most mournful dirge for Ryan Johnson. He really was asking for it. A unique filmmaker with a signature style and a penchant for layered subversion. And willingness to make bold mistakes, Ryan Johnson thought it would be a swell idea to write and direct a Star Wars movie. And somebody thought it was a swell idea to hire him, and nobody once had the good sense to tell him what everybody really wanted, which was for him to stop being Ryan Johnson. And when the movie came out, and it wasn't the exact film that everyone had been picturing in their heads for several years, the weeping infants that are the American public pretended like Ryan Johnson had come into their houses and personally ripped the arms off their limited edition Greedo action figures. He's a bounty hunter named Greed. Oh, this is not a canvas upon which Ryan Johnson could thrive. I've never been a fan of writing fan fiction. It's an interesting practice, and now having written a whole book in the universe of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, I now realize that imitation is not for me, and why 90% of imitation art is worse than the work that inspired it. Art is difficult to scientifically quantify, there's no way for me to prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the vast majority of imitation art is bad. Art's quality is not quantifiable, not only because quality is mostly subjective, but Because subjectivity makes any judgment of art inherently prejudiced against alternate forms of judgment. So what if I didn't like one of Spike Lee's films? It probably wasn't made directly for me. Just like Ryan Johnson's Star Wars film wasn't made for overreacting fanboys who have never once considered not getting exactly what they want. See? I'm prejudiced. And prejudice makes judgment, judgmental. But what I'll say, from my likely prejudiced position, is that when Steven Spielberg pretends to be Stanley Kubrick, he makes a subpar Stanley Kubrick film. When J.J. Abrams pretends to be Steven Spielberg, he makes a subpar Steven Spielberg film. When an artist tries to be another artist, the work can result in a diluted amalgamation of the two artists' work, neither hot nor cold, but tepid. My artistic tastes are for the wild and abnormal, and therefore, I find many imitation pieces to be middling and uninteresting. But I won't say not to imitate. Far from it. Here's what happens in my Narnia fan fiction novel, The Forgotten Queen. After the main series ends, my book begins on uh, the first day. The passes for Susan Pevensey without her thinking about her whole family dying in a freak train accident. Uh, spoilers, but not really, because what happens in Lewis's The Last Battle is that Narnia as we knew it comes to an end. But everything that was good about Narnia remains. And the seven human beings from our world, which isn't really our world because Sherlock Holmes is a real person in Lewis's version of Earth, I guess. Well, anyway, they all get to this goodified Narnia, which is connected, to all the other good places, of all of Aslan's other infinite worlds, and they go further up and further in to what's basically heaven. Only Susan isn't there. She's not dead yet, you see. And Lewis is going to write a book about that, but he decided to spend his time doing other things and not waste his whole talent on trying to wrap up plot holes. Anyway, Susan feels pretty guilty when she's not mourning over her family, and that means she's basically sad all the time, in one way or another. And so she starts the book off crying in a boarding house. Her landlady is one of those really nice and wise people Lewis always includes in his books. And Susan's next-door neighbor is Carol, one of the comically horrible and self-deluded people Lewis always puts in his book. After Carol complains, Susan the gentle decides to switch rooms, which means that a package of magical items meant for Susan is intercepted by Carol. hijinks ensue when a group of Narnians who have wandered into London mistake Carol for Susan and begin to serve her as their queen. Susan doesn't want to be queen, but her nice landlady encourages her to at least find the Narnians a new home, which will, in turn, prove to the Narnians that Susan is their real queen, thus tying the A and B plots together. She tries and fails. She's especially tried when she's offered a world exactly tailored to her greatest desires, but which would cut her off from Aslan and the Narnians. This tempting world is a heaven of sorts, but not one that can last the eons of the human soul. But it's in the failures that Aslan works. Adventure concludes with Aslan taking those who fled from Narnia and charging them with the protection of a new home, which is in no way easier than Narnia was, but the trials it took to get there give them a better appreciation for its goodness, and they won't flee anymore. Susan's arc is that she was so invested in earthly goods that she was no earthly good. Earthly delights are, in the novel, likened to a heavy chain of gold, and only by abandoning this burden are we able to gain real goodness. Delight in delights, but do not serve them. Serve, rather, Aslan, and you will get Aslan and all the delights thrown in. Your archetypical portal of fantasies end with the characters returning to normalcy, having changed, and the Forgotten Queen follows suit. Did you notice anything about my narration? I notice It's changed. Writing The Forgotten Queen has changed me and changed my writing. I immersed myself in The Chronicles of Narnia, reading the books for in-universe tie-ins and for ideas of what made Lewis's writing so interesting. His prose is conversational. It's also tangential and tries to relate directly to the reader's prior knowledge. Just like I did when I referred to Lewis's fantasy as archetypical or for one of those characters, I said one of those people. So, would I refer you to imitate someone else's work? Well, yes and no. Yes, because you love the work of one master, you should feel free to incorporate one of their stylistic and narrative tricks into your toolbox. You can never have too many tools. You never know what kind of challenge you and your interesting new art will create. But also no, no, don't try to be someone else. That someone else already exists, and their work already thrives in your heart. Copy their tools, but do not copy the work that the tools built, at least not in public. How would I have written The Forgotten Queen if I knew then what I know now? Neil Gaiman in The Problem of Susan does some work that is, on the whole, interesting, if not my exact prejudicial cup of tea. It's attempting exactly what I attempted, to examine Narnia after Narnia, and to answer the big question left to us by the last novel. It was partially in reaction against the frankly short-sighted and contrarian worldview on display in Gaiman's work that I began my own novel. But I might have learned another lesson from the story, namely, that Gaiman in no way attempted to mimic Lewis's prose style and worldview, but made the story his own and unique and true to Gaimanness. Unfortunately, he did not engage with the material and did not match the style in a way that was satisfying to me. So he was screwed either way, Ryan Johnson. But it's in the failures that I learned the price for my mistakes. The price here is a month of work, and the lesson is one I hope will never need repeating. No, don't imitate with the art of publishing your imitation. Yes, imitate to learn and change. Speaking of which, I am attempting to reverse course and match the tone and the style that I was going for in Ironclad Nocturne, and it's tough. Because I wrote that book before writing other books that I learned from, and suddenly I'm noticing things in my work that I would rather be different. And I don't want to get caught up in stylistic changes in the revision right now. That's for later. For right now, um, I just want to do broad strokes, add a little bit of plot, and then continue on. Of course, my writing will have changed, but it will be the same story. So if you finish Ironclad Nocturne, you know that um, a, a crew has been compromised, and my main character has to form a new crew to go down into the earth like a western, but a, a downstern. Anyway, The Downstern is centered around tracking uh, this enemy crew through a very strange and sometimes hostile environment, which allows the characters to grow and change and display their own personality uh, in a really fun and interesting way. The world of Ironclad Nocturne and the continuation-slash-sequel thing that I'm doing, it is a big planet that's just a machine, and so therefore there are layers to this machine. There are little hubs of cities um, that you can get to, but in between, there's a lot of weirdness, and danger. And it's not just mechanical either. There's some sort of really weird and wild spiritual force that's keeping this planet going. Imagine a machine that's been around for millennia and no one really knows how it started or how it works. They just know that it does. In fact, it works really well for some people and really poorly for others. Those on the more punishing end of the machine want to kind of upend the structure. They say that they want to destroy it. They say they want to tear apart the classes. Systems that exist, but they actually, like all of us, would be tempted by the power that the class system represents, and be tempted by the power of getting to take over that state machinery. Part of the plot difference I'm doing now is that one of the characters I'm going to replace with a character that I'm going to be imitating from another piece of fiction, and that's 310 to Yuma, baby! So 310 to Yuma is this movie where uh, Christian Bale has to escort uh, Russell Crowe to prison a a hostile landscape and they run into all kinds of troubles uh, that are both related to Russell Crowe's gang and also from just hazards of the old west. Like them Pankertons what stole my gold! So what I'm going to do is have the, the end of the first book is sort of a jailbreak sequence and what if they jailbroke a former member of this Opposing gang and they are bribing slash threatening this person into helping them uh, chase after the, the bad guys or whatever That opens up a lot of cool possibilities because suddenly you are near something that is dangerous and something that will fight back and Verbally attack the thing that you're trying to do yet that constant threat is necessary to dealing with the bigger threat now the really dumb thing I could do is take what I've learned from imitation and just totally ignore it. So I could just straight up copy what uh, that movie did and what some other books did and just slap it into my book without any changes. But there's a huge danger in that, which is that people have also seen those movies and they also know the tropes. And so when they see, you know, this... this. Uh, villain who's traveling with the good guys maybe they think like oh they'll they'll come around and they'll like come around to these people's way of thinking and they'll turn into a good guy so you got to do it the same but different you have to enjoy the tool that you took out of someone else's toolbox but not adhere to the exact rule that the tool was used for otherwise number one people are going to see from a mile off what's going to happen with this character like oh boy here comes the good guy turn and i have no suspense and number two the people done are already seen this before. They are bored. They will not use your art as a touchstone for culture because it just is something that is so familiar, and they could use a million other examples to uh, get across whatever idea or reference that they're trying to get across. All right, next week is Christmas! Christmas 2020. It's going to be interesting. And so maybe I'll give a short little podcast next week. Probably not, but uh yeah, just stay tuned. And uh once again, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate you. I love you if you're just if you're if you're just listening, that's awesome. If you also leave comments and engage with us online um, at author's dozen on all platforms, I would just I would just burst out of my whole head. My brain would explode with happiness for you. It's not that people who like, comment, subscribe are better than mere listeners, but, I mean, they kind of are. So, uh, give that a give that a look and a go. Uh, seriously, I appreciate everyone who hangs out with me uh, every week. All right, take care. And I don't know how to end my podcast, so I play music over it and pretend like I was going somewhere with the